0: today's the Sunday before Christmas, right? And, um, at Cornerstone, everybody, everybody laughs at me when I, it's like, oh, it's Christmas, I wonder how Jay's gonna handle it, uh, yeah. I still have the dream of, of taking a bat to a nativity scene, but, uh, did I tell you about After the Church of the Brethren? This past, past last Sunday, I was at After the Church of the Brethren, and maybe they're okay, so, rewind eight years, I was on a real anti-Christmas rant, and, uh, I told everybody at Cornerstone that I was like a hair's breadth, that the elders wouldn't let me take one of those plastic nativity scenes that's like this big, you know, and just hit it with a golf club because I'm so against the romanticization of the Christmas story, and uh, and the elders are like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> no, you, but but I said that I wanted to in a congregation, right? This is eight years ago. So this past Sunday, I'm at Efforted Church of the Brethren, um, and it, it's it's their Advent time, and I'm completely not teaching on anything having to do with Christmas. But three different people came up to me ahead of time and be like, "Are you gonna hit a nativity scene with a bat?" <laughs> we heard that you did that in several churches. It's like this 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 legend that built, you know, and that grew. I've never done it. I, I've always I've always exuded self-control but but these people were very excited at the idea of this crazy man with a beard you know going off on a nativity scene um so that was that uh, yeah exactly i know you know how things travel urban legend exactly so uh you can think about christmas from two perspectives uh, and uh, this is an introduction to this, the way that we're thinking about it recently, last year, and this year as well. You can think about it from a Western perspective or an Eastern perspective. Western perspective is the concept of Advent, the concept of Christmas, the, uh, the first coming of Christ. The Eastern perspective, which particularly Eastern Europe and uh, the way that Christianity is, is inculcated in, the, uh, um, in the, the Far East as well, is the idea of Epiphany which is a, a, a revelation, whereas Advent is a coming, um, you know, a, a presence of a being with. Epiphany is a revelation, an illumination, a manifestation, a declaration of the Christ child and of what it means for Jesus to be incarnated and to be given to us. It's two different ways of thinking about it. It's also two different traditional perspectives. Advent is the first four Sundays before, before the actual December 25th holiday. Um, and Epiphany Begins on the sunday before christmas and extends itself to the two sundays after christmas including the first sunday of the new year And uh, so last year, um, we decided to take the the eastern perspective this idea of of the revelation Right the the manifestation the declaration of jesus and this year we decided to do the same thing So today is the first sunday of epiphany Um, If you want to learn anything more about Epiphany, you can Google it and there's good stuff online. Um, But uh, this is the first Sunday of Epiphany. And today we're going to be dealing with the idea and the concept of the manifestation of Christ. The way that Jesus is manifested to his people. Epiphany Epiphany, uh, traditionally runs through through the concept of the Gospels. Where you take a Gospel story, an idea of Jesus... It sometimes is a Christmas story, but it oftentimes has to do with more of his ministry years um, than his actual birth. And you look at the way that Jesus was manifest and the way that he chose to be manifest in the Christmas story itself. So it's this idea of the ministry of Christ being seen and then the way that that came from, the uh, the manner in which he was birthed. You'll see what I mean as, as we go through it today. Um, I... I uh, made one of these things for everybody, um, so we're going to be using this uh, for this morning. Um, so if you got one of those, you can pull it out. And while you're pulling it out, you can also turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, today dealing with the manifestation of Jesus. Luke 17, we're going to start in verse 11. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ministry of Christ. Thank you for this focus that we have on the manifestation of Jesus in our lives through the incarnation. And we step toward you. We step into your word, into this story that you have given us. And show us what you will during this time. Holy Spirit, come and move and teach us. Minister to us through um, the ministry that you have planned for each one here today. You know where each one comes from. You know where each one is carrying. And I pray today that you would serve each one in a deep and powerful way uh, by manifesting yourself to them. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, when we went to the uh, emergency room on Sunday night, last Sunday night, Christy was... uh, She was very ill, like very, like when we went into the, it was one of those situations where you don't have to wait in the waiting room, you know, like they're going to take you right back. And I knew that um, going in, it was about 10 o'clock at night and our doctor had called ahead and said we were coming, right? Except that at the door, they stopped us. Like we did not get immediate entrance into uh, the emergency room. You know why? You know what their first question was? Have you been to West Africa? Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, here's my daughter who was very, very sick at this point in time, and the first thing, the first question was, have you been to West Africa? No. And there were two more questions that I had to answer, you know, have you been near anyone or been around any goods or anything that came from there? And, uh, you yeah, know, no, no, so now can we please go in, that kind of a thing. Um, you know, this whole Ebola thing, this is a big deal, right? Have you noticed, it's interesting to me that we're very, very concerned about Ebola not getting into America. Um, but when it actually comes to the actual epidemic of Ebola that's happening in West Africa, like, there isn't as much about that. I mean, have you noticed? Especially given the lack of indictments that have come across recently and then this horrific murder that happened uh, yesterday. Uh, you know, like, we, we get so focused on our, ourselves and our present situation that we forget that there are literally thousands of people in West Africa who are dealing with and suffering from Ebola our primary concern is just, I hope it doesn't come here. I hope that we're okay. Uh, it, whereas very little care is given toward that. I, I'm such a big fan of Time Magazine because they make good choices sometimes. Like this last time where their people of the year were the Ebola caregivers, you know, people who would courageously step toward that disease and care for it. Uh, if you go to West Africa you know, and you're engaged in, 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 at all in that kind of ministry that's happening there, um, you know, th- this is a very, very scary thing. You know, taking someone who doesn't have Ebola and then advancing toward care and caregiving. My friend uh, Andrew was in China when the SARS outbreak happened. If you remember that, about 10 years ago. Um, and uh, SARS was such a devastating thing, particularly in inland China, which we didn't hear as much about, but it was such a devastating thing that literally there were hospitals where they would take all of the non-SARS patients out, they would take all of the SARS patients from around surrounding hospitals, put them into one hospital, and then the staff just walked away, you know, and, and and just left it there. Andrew and the community that he was, the Christian community that he was a part of there, had this amazing ministry to the SARS victims because b- the staff walked away. The only people left to care were Christians. And they actually went into the hospital themselves and provided care where care had been removed and not one of them uh, contracted the disease. Just an, an amazing situation. Um, anyway, I think about like this Ebola thing in the same way, and then I go to the hospital on a Sunday night, and it's the same, same situation. Like, if, if you have this, like you are not someone that we want around anymore. Right? We, we are going to figure out a way to keep you far away from everyone else. Now, what if the answer was yes? You know, what would they have done with Christie would have been complete and total isolation, quarantine, right? The idea that you can't be one of us. Not right now, right? So go over there, be over there, We'll try and take care of you over there while we're over here, (laughs) you know, with this massive amount of distance in between. There has always been things in the world like the biblical concept of leprosy, right? In the Old Testament is when the first time you hear about leprosy, Leviticus 13, the whole chapter is dedicated to what to do with a leper. Now, it's important to understand that we're not sure that we even know what the biblical disease of leprosy was. Because the way that leprosy is described in Scripture is not the way that we think of leprosy now. Right, We call leprosy, and if you go to India, a lot of Southeast Asian countries still struggle with leprosy, um, Middle East countries struggle with leprosy. If, if you go and, and you engage that, what, what you're dealing with is particularly a nerve disease that causes decay and rot of extremities. So lepers today have fingers that fall off, they'll lose their nose, they'll lose their ears, all this will be by decay and rot. You don't read that in the scriptures very often, nor do you read about it in the um, Uh, In in any other ancient literature, leprosy spoken of in that way. What you do read about is whiteness on the skin, and you read about boils and pus. Right, so so those are the things that you read more about. It would seem that leprosy, from a biblical standpoint, is much more uh, a an extreme case of psoriasis, right? Like an extreme case of eczema that would actually you know, weep pus, and that would be very, very uh, contagious. I mean, just to be around it in the least bit, would be, you'd be pretty sure that if that person has leprosy, you're going to have leprosy. What we don't see is people's noses and ears and fingers falling off so much. So we don't even know that we know what the leprosy in the, in the Bible is compared to today. So, when, so drawing that parallel, that, that's difficult to do. Right? Um Hansen's disease. Right? Is that the name of it today? Yeah, Hansen's disease is what we currently call leprosy, which may or may not be that, but probably is not. It's probably something else. In in biblical days, though, leprosy was extremely contagious. Your house could get leprosy. Right? Leviticus thirteen gives restrictions for what happens when you find leprosy on your walls. Right? They would turn like reddish, brownish, and then you have to bring the priest in, and they would either find a way to cleanse it or they would just burn the whole thing down, and then you had to sort of start over from scratch. So, leprosy, as we know it, it's important to let it stand in the context that we see it in Scripture. Very, very contagious. It causes the skin to become white. White like snow, it's oftentimes called. Right? And it's about pus and boils, which is always fun to think about at Christmas. Um, so, so, the... Uh, When someone would get leprosy, I mean, as as soon as it showed up, as soon as it showed up, there was immediate isolation and immediate quarantine, right? And leprosy, it's important for you to hear this. Leprosy was always, always in the Old Testament uh, was correlated to judgment, right? If you read about leprosy in the Old Testament with any of the people who experienced it, do you remember Moses got leprosy? God, what will be a sign for Pharaoh? Put your hand in your shirt. Now pull it out. Right? White, you know, white with leprosy. Then puts it back in and it comes out and, and it's whole. But he's still going to be marked, right? Moses got leprosy. Miriam got leprosy. That was a point of judgment, right? This was against Pharaoh. Judgment. That was the idea with Moses. Um, Naaman Another thing, it's it's thought of when Elisha approaches him and engages this, this is something that went wrong in your life. This is about sin on some level or another. King Uzziah chose to act like a priest as well as a king. That's sin, and he was stricken with leprosy as a result. So from a Jewish mindset here in Luke 17, for a leper, for someone to have leprosy, doesn't just mean, oh, they're sick. It means, oh, they are under judgment. All right, does everybody get that? All right, if that's very, very important. They are not just physically quarantined. They are not just physically isolated from the community. They are spiritually isolated from the community. If someone in your family contracted leprosy, the assumption was that there was sin in their lives that you didn't know about. They had displeased Yahweh on some level or another. So getting them out of your family was an act of grace toward the rest of your family. Right? It was a complete separation, a complete cut off. Lepers were particularly uh, noted culturally because they had to walk around talking all the time. Right? What they have to say? Unclean. That's right. A leper, at any point in time that he did go out, right, would have to yell, unclean. Anytime he was around people, anytime anyone was approaching him for something, he would have to yell, unclean, unclean, right? And, and the, the uh, description unclean doesn't have anything to do with hygiene, right? Anytime that you see in the Old Testament, the concept of unclean, it doesn't have anything to do with hygiene. It has everything to do with, are you able to be part of the religious community? right? Unclean is a spiritual statement, not necessarily a physical one, right? Being unclean is a spiritual statement. Saying that someone is unclean means that they cannot partake in the worship of Yahweh in the tabernacle or the temple, right? They can't go into that place, and they can't be around others who want to maintain their cleanness so as to become part of the religious community, Being clean and unclean, like in and out of the scriptures, is a major thing. If you touch a dead body, if you're around a dead body, you're unclean for seven days, right? So if someone in your house dies, or if an animal dies, or if you uh, help out a neighbor who's having a problem, like uh, anything in his flock, you, you are unclean for seven days. You've got to go through some kind of ritual purification. If you're a woman, right, once a month for about a week, you're unclean. A woman's cycle would be a cycle of an inability to engage her religious community, an inability to go in and worship, right? Because that was uncleanness. They even set up, and there's a new, have you guys seen this Lifetime movie? Lifetime is making this movie about the red tent, where supposedly Jewish women would go and talk about their husbands, you know, and they would like be quarantined there. And p- Folks, do, please do not watch this. Right, save yourself, like read a good book about Old Testament history, but don't watch that crap, all right? Um, what was I? Thank you, unclean, separated. <laughs> well done, well done. Unclean, right? It, so, so the idea of being unclean means that someone is not allowed to be a part of the community. Now, there, are, there were ways to become clean again. A woman, after her cycle was finished, was naturally clean again. She would come back in. Her husband would ritually wash her, which is interesting if you draw a parallel to Ephesians 5, where her husband is called to wash and, and, and glorify his wife. Right? Good stuff there. Another sermon. Um, so uh, she would be, be brought back in. Her husband would wash her. She would become part of the community again. If, if you touched a dead body, seven days ritual purification, you're back in again. If you have leprosy, you are isolated and then you die. That's it. Leprosy is an absolute cutoff. It is a, it is a permanent uncleanness. So in the Old Testament, right when, when someone gets leprosy, it, that, that's it. That's it. And the people of God were merciful toward lepers compared to the pagan nations around them. Like when Naaman, remember Naaman? Naaman was a a, uh, a Syrian uh, war leader. He was a, a commander of of an army, and he contracted leprosy. You know how the Syrians dealt with leprosy in the army? They burned the person, right? Because they just wanted them completely and their disease gone. And now here the commander gets it. So for that, for Naaman to come to Elisha to ask for help, you know, because this little girl tells him, "Oh, I know a man that can heal leprosy." You know, th- this, that, that's a major step of faith for Naaman to do that. But the option is to be burned alive, right? So, uh, you know, you, you take your chances with the prophet. Um, th- there is this, uh, um, th- the stigma that comes with leprosy cannot be, cannot be overstated. Now, if you know anything about the New Testament, you know that Samaritans are nasty, right? You know that Samaritans are half-breeds. Jews hate Samaritans because they're thought of as what? unclean right everybody say unclean unclean everybody yell it unclean right now you're a leper right now you're walking around unclean unclean now if you're a samaritan unclean you have a rough life you know because samaritans i mean samaritans are unclean by virtue of their birth right by virtue of their birth by virtue of their descent and talk about prejudice and discrimination. A Samaritan could be the most observant Jew in the whole land of Israel, but they were considered unclean and not able to enter the temple, which is why in Samaria they built their own temple, their own place of worship, which is why this woman, the Samaritan woman in John 4, says to Jesus, what's the right place to worship? In Jerusalem or here in Samaria? And Jesus says, neither one of those things matters. What matters isn't where you worship, it's how you worship. It's who you are, right? Good stuff. All right, another sermon. Um, samaritan leper Whew! that's just it you know i mean that's like being an eagles fan right now i mean just just despair you know i mean utter humiliation and, and awful awful life you know uh, that's ridiculous comparison um but uh, i mean this is bad and a samaritan leper is who jesus runs into in this situation All Right? look at your text on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, Galilee is like the most looked down on place of, of Israel, of actual, like true Israel. Like, yeah, they're, they're definitely in, but they're, they're, they're very looked down on, very, very prejudiced. This is where the poor people are. This is where, you know, the, the, the salt of the earth, you know, nobody from that has ever been anybody came from Galilee, especially from Nazareth, that kind of a thing. So Jesus is walking the border between Samaria and Galilee, right? So he is with the least of these on, on, on an, extreme, an extreme level. On the way to Jerusalem, he's passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and Jesus would do this, right? Remember John 4, when he is going to see the Samaritan woman, it says that he had to pass through Samaria like, Jesus makes these kinds of choices very, very purposefully. So he's walking on this, uh, this border between Samaria and Galilee. And he's entering a village. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, right? So, so the lepers are yonder. They're over there, obviously within yelling distance. But if the village is here that Jesus is walking into, the leper colony is going to be back there somewhere. The lepers have heard about Jesus. By this time, everyone's heard about Jesus. He's done some incredible things. Excuse me. And so the lepers decide that they're going to go ahead and take the risk, like everybody else does, that Jesus has has healed them. If you go back to Luke 5, Jesus heals a leper, and he actually touches the leper. Which means that Jesus is what? unclean that's right so at this point jesus is still unclean and teaching in the temple regularly which should tell you something a lot about who our jesus is right and so there's 10 lepers out there and they can yell to him and they yell jesus master have mercy on us now what they meant by that i don't know if i'm them i would have heard about the leper who they did heal and Jesus, master, have mercy on us, just simply means you touched him, would you come touch us? Like, have mercy on us, think about us, have grace and kindness toward us, would you come near to us? Jesus, master, have mercy on us. They also call him master, which means they don't just think of him as a teacher, they think of him as someone with authority. Right? The, 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 uh, the title master is, is unique to the book of Luke. You'll read that word master in the book of Luke, and you won't see it very often in Matthew or Mark, really interestingly. Uh, Anyway, uh, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So they can yell to him, but they're at a distance. right? They're pretty far off. They can holler. Jesus sees them. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And Jesus hollers back. Go and show yourselves to the priests. Go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, if you do have leprosy, and you think that you're cured from leprosy, that your leprosy has gone away, there's only one way for that to happen. And it's that you've got to go see the priest. The priests have been trained in the, in the Levitical law. They know what to look for. They know what to do. They know how to diagnose. And so the only way to gain entrance back into your community is to go to the priest for the priest to examine you and say, yes, you've actually been healed of leprosy. Right? This happened like never. But... If, in case it did happen, there was a way for the person to come back into the community. So, when Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priests, what is he saying to them? He's saying to them, I'm going to heal you. Has he touched them yet? No. Has he come near them? No. As far as they know, Jesus is afraid of them like everybody else is. But, look at what they do. And as they went, they were cleansed. Right, So they obey. Isn't that that? They're way off. He's far away. They're hollering. He's hollering. But in faith, they move. And as they move, they are cleansed. Do you see? Please tell me that you're reading this sentence. As they went, they were cleansed. Look me in the face. A lot of you are waiting for God to do something for you. A lot of you are sitting there saying, When is God going to fill in the blank? But you're not willing to move. You want to both have your cake and eat it too. What God is speaking, you need to follow. And as you move, you will receive. Go show yourself to the priest. Oh, he's not even going to come up here and touch me. Well, I think I'll just stay here until he does. When the word of the Lord is clear, movement's required on their part. Obedience on some level. Trust. Go and show yourself to the priest. But he's far away. No? His words came very near. And as they moved, they were cleansed as they moved as they obeyed if god is saying something to you if god is speaking to you and there is this other thing in your life that you're really looking for god to minister to you in or to serve you in or to bring you healing in god's words are clear right i mean what he's spoken to you you need to follow as you go you will receive But you can't ask God to fit into your box. You can't say, no, God, I want it to be this, 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 and this. Bless me, then I'll obey. Bless me, then I'll obey. That's how we like to operate. Make me feel good, and then I'll act good. No. God calls us to move, and as we move, we receive. As they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15. Then one of them, saw that when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Right? So as they go, they're cleansed. Now imagine this, right, in, in, in your head, this would have been Samaritans and Galileans. This would have been full Jew and full Samaritans. They're on the border, Samaria and Galilee, which means they would, have, they would have shared a compound. They would have shared a leper colony where they could all sort of be rejects together. And so there are 10 of them. They all go, they're all cleansed as they're going they there is clearly some kind of a visible thing where like they are looking at their skin and what was white no longer is what was oozing pus that morning now there's not a wound there anymore like they're looking at this and they're seeing this they're seeing that god has done something that jesus the master has done something and they are moving to go to the priest So that through the Levitical law of being cleansed by the priest, they can then re-enter into their community, into into their society. But there's this one guy who is so struck with the fact that he has been healed that he runs back to Jesus. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. Right? So he, he hasn't been cleansed yet. Notice, there's been no declaration, legal declaration, that he no longer has leprosy. He was standing a very far off before, and now he runs right past where he was, straight to the feet of Jesus, throws himself at Jesus' feet, and he gives thanks. And then, in verse 16, Luke just simply makes the point. Now, he was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. He was the one that the Jews thought would have no, no ability to get it. Right? He, was, he was marginalized. He was discriminated against. He was, he, he was thrown away just in the fact that he was a Samaritan. Then he got leprosy on top of it. But the one who came back out of the ten to give thanks was a Samaritan. Was the one that they all pushed back against. Was the one who didn't belong just by virtue of his birth, let alone his disease. Jesus says, "Were not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. On that paper there that uh, I gave you, this concept of giving thanks to God for his work in your life, for what he's done for you and what he's doing for you. If you look at the scriptures, I got this out of a book that I uh, reference on the book of Luke, actually. Um, if you look at the scriptures, this is a list of things that you and I are, are that we give thanks for, that we are biblically told to give thanks for. It's, it's a great list, right? God's deliverance, His love, His faithfulness for hearing our cry, for safety, for brothers and sisters and of their testimony of faith, salvation, deliverance from temptation, for prayer, for hope, for victory, for spiritual support, for the church. For people willing to listen to God's word, the ability to serve others, for his character and being, right? I mean, the thing, the, these are things that the scriptures say, give thanks for these things. Let me just do one point of application, which is that on Thursday, we're all going to say thank you to each other for stuff. There's, there's no stuff on this list. There's not one material item on this list that the scripture said, give thanks to God for the clothes that you have or for the car that you drive. Well, that would be something, right? The car that you drive in the Bible. Um, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like, th- There's nothing material on, on this list, which is so interesting because material stuff takes up so much of our desires. And material stuff is the stuff that we so quickly say thank you for. It's one thing to sit down at a table that's full of food and to say grace for the meal. It's another thing to sit down at a table with no food and to say thanks God for your provision. Right? Those are two very, very different things. One is very, very easy, and one is very, very hard. Gratitude is not about what you have or don't have. Gratitude is about God and seeing his provision in your life. Let me ask you a question. Is God providing? Yes, he absolutely is. Our response is gratitude. Our response is gratitude. Don't get me wrong. We should say thank you to each other for for material things, for the gifts that you're going to get. Please say thank you. But understand that gratitude is about so much more than what we have materially. It is about so much more. It's about who God is and the spiritual work that he is actively doing in our lives. And that's what Christmas is about. It's about the fact that this one, this God, this transcendent, massive, high, and huge being has come near That for centuries and decades, the people of God have cried out over a distance. Come and save us. Lord, Master, have mercy on us. The people of God have been crying. And what does God do? He's been hollering back, right? He's been hollering back and sending incredible work. But then he actually comes near. Like he becomes the baby. He incarnates himself God becomes human. I think, yeah, on the upper right hand of your sheet there. To link this to the Christmas story, there's some shepherds. They're out keeping watch in their field by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came and this glory shone round about them and they were, the shepherds, right? They were sore afraid. This is old King James here I'm going off of. That right. <laughs> was the last time you were sore afraid. <laughs> and what did they declare? Peace on earth, good will toward men. Now we use this as a prayer. Peace on earth, good will toward men is not a prayer. It was never meant to be prayed. Peace on earth, good will toward men is a statement. It is a declaration. Things have changed. Peace has come kindness is among you right the ability for people to choose good to will good good will the choice of good giving of generosity of kindness of love that is among you peace on earth goodwill toward men is not a prayer peace on earth goodwill toward men is a reality because jesus christ has come and the shepherds receive this do you know who else is perpetually and continually unclean in jewish society Shepherds! Shepherds are unclean. Really interesting Mishnah legend here, right? I mean, you folks know me. I'm a nerd. The, the, the Mishnah holds that there, on the eastern plains, on the eastern edge of Bethlehem, there is a tower. I forget the name, but Milga Ender. It sounds very like Tolkien. I'm pretty sure that's it. Milga Ender is a tower, right? Supposedly the Messiah's coming is going to be declared from this tower, Um, but supposedly, um, according to the Mishnah, anyway, the, uh, the plains, the open spaces, the meadows where shepherds would graze their sheep and would feed them on that, on those eastern plains, those eastern meadows. The Mishnah says that those sheep would become sacrificial, uh, animals in temple worship and that the shepherds who tended their sheep on those fields were the only ones only shepherds in all of Israel who were not unclean and the angels come to these shepherds outside of Bethlehem I don't know if they were on that side or not I just think that's wild so back to the text Jesus is declared to unclean people right he's declared to unclean people peace on earth goodwill toward men to shepherds and the shepherds go and where do they go they go from being afar off and hearing a declaration to searching for the child and coming very near. And now what have they done to the baby? They've made him unclean. Un- Come on. <laughs> They've made him unclean. That's right. Where is he supposed to go in eight days? To the temple. To be circumcised. To be declared a Jewish male. Right? that eight days is for the purpose of being ritually cleansed from the nastiness of childbirth. Right? But not anymore because now these dirty shepherds have come into the picture and these dirty shepherds have now brought all their uncleanness and they've come to the baby. And now Jesus is unclean, except he's not. You know why? Because he's Jesus and Jesus doesn't become unclean. Jesus makes everything else clean. Jesus cleanses us. Right? Our disease, our sin, all the things that want to tear us down and destroy our lives, Jesus' blood forever has canceled that. And what would be unclean is now declared clean. It is the ability for the sanctifying work of God to be active in your life at all times. Which is why the text continues the way that it does. The Pharisees come to him and say, and, and this, is, this is long-standing question, long-standing Hebraic lore. Rabbis would sit around and talk about this all the time. When will the kingdom of God be manifest? When will the kingdom of God come? Let's talk about it again. And Jesus says, you will not know. There will not be a time when you sit there and go, oh, there it is. There's the kingdom of God. There's that one that we've been waiting for. Or, or oh, it's over there. Let's just shift the way we think and go over there. But I tell you the truth, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is among you. Why? Because Jesus is among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And these dirty shepherds come and they are not making the baby clean, but they themselves become clean because they bow down and what? They worship him. Worship is based in faith. There's no worship without faith. The Shepherds receive the Shepherds are cleansed by this one right the lepers they don 't make Jesus dirty; He makes them clean. He takes away their infirmity He takes away their disease. If in the Old Testament, you were to walk in to the, the, the camp of Israel and say to anyone, "Where is holiness? Where is cleanness if i 'm currently in sin." Where can I go to be made clean? Any person, any Jew you talk to would turn to wherever the center of the camp was and say, go there. Go to that place that's called a tabernacle. Why do I have to go there? Because that's where God is. God is there. Right now, you are far away from God because you're here. We know where God is, though. So go there and you can become clean from your sin. Thank you for the information. I'll go become clean. How do I do it? Well, get this animal, sacrifice it in this way, say this to the priest, the priest will say this to you, then you'll be good to go. Okay. Sounds like a lot of work, but I can do it. Fast forward to anything post the cross. Where is holiness? Where is cleansing? Where is it? It is in your Midst. Why? Because Jesus has come. And Jesus is among you. And Jesus has brought the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is in your midst. What does the scripture say that a local church is? A temple. What do the scripture say the universal church is? A temple. What did the scripture say that your body is? A temple where is cleansing where is holiness it is among you it is in you through the power of the holy spirit through the work of the blood of jesus you are made clean you are a temple now anybody can step into here at any point in time and say where is holiness where is cleansing where is god and we say he is right here He is here and he is active and he is moving and he is cleansing and he is taking those of us who were far off and had to yell and say, unclean, unclean, don't come near me. I'm full of sin. I'll make you dirty too. And he said, no, come to me, receive me. Not just that, but I'm going to come to you and I'm going to receive you. I'm going to move toward you. Dirty, leprous Samaritan. Your faith has made you well. Receive. Receive. Open yourself. The kingdom of God is in your midst. That one painting on your, uh, on your sheet there, it's, a, it's by Rembrandt, this nativity. And please tell me you're proud of me for putting a nativity on, on this handout. Right, Rembrandt, again, gets it so Right? This is a close-up of a picture of what Rembrandt's imagination saw the stable to be. You should go home and Google the whole thing so you can see it. It's fascinating. Um, anyway, this is Rembrandt's depiction of, of, the, uh, of the nativity. Off to the right there are shepherds. And just as you should look for in every Rembrandt that you look at, the question is always, where is the light? Because Rembrandt, he, he, he puts his emphasis where he thinks that light is coming from. Right, and where's the light? What's the source of the light in this painting? It's the baby, right? That's right, like light has come. When you look at this painting on your computer screen later today, as I encourage you to do, you'll see it's very, very dark. Like the whole painting is very dark. And the light, like it, the light in the painting, I think we're tempted to see, oh, like it's, it's coming out. But the light, I think your eye actually takes the whole big painting in first, and then you're drawn to this focal point this one place to so this baby in the manger the one who has come to save us to cleanse the one who was far off comes near the lepers have to stay far away and call to Jesus does God ever feel distant to you does God ever feel far away Do you, have you ever felt like you're just too dirty I have You know, like, there's just no hope for me. But I see Jesus walking out there somewhere, and so I'll holler. Hey, I'm over here. If there's anything you want to do for me. Right? I need mercy. And he hollers back. Go. Do what I've called you to do and receive what it is that your heart most desires. Yeah, you're really far away. I'd be much happier if you were accommodating. When God feels far away, it can be very true in our lives that his work is just as present and with us as it has ever been. The healing still happens, right? It doesn't require Jesus, I mean, his presence, it manifests itself in every direction, even up on that hill where they are. And it opens the opportunity for one who is completely unclean to actually come very, very near and to be at his feet, having received his cleansing, but not being declared legally clean. But it doesn't really matter because Jesus has declared him clean. And Jesus has brought him near, the one who should be cast off. This is what God does. This is how he works. Experiencing the kingdom of God is a matter of trust when it comes down to it. One who seems far away can actually be very near like he was with those lepers to the point that he knew exactly they didn't even ask for anything lord have mercy on us that's what they asked for lord have mercy on us go show yourself to the priests i mean how near are those words to a leper who then goes and receives cleansing could jesus be any more near even with the distance the kingdom of God, this is, this is about trust. This is about are you willing to step toward and into the way that God calls you to be and who he's calling you to be, the way that he's calling you to engage him. He has come near. He has brought his cleansing with him. It is in our midst. Where is holiness? It is among you. Where is life? It is among you. Where is worship? It is among you. It is in you. The kingdom of God is Jesus. So come and receive. Come and receive. Be cleansed. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. That is your reality. Because that is who Jesus is. And that's what it means for God to be a baby in a manger. You and I made clean. Let's pray. God, thank you for the beauty of who you are thank you for the work that you have done in our lives thank you for coming near thank you for the reality that we live in that peace has come that goodness has come that it is you that your grace and your favor is upon us where we've been, what we've done, all of that touched by you, cleansed. As far as the east is from the west, so have you removed our sins from us. And we say thank you. Our hearts are full of gratitude for the blessing that you have given us in Christ. God, we believe, help our unbelief. The kingdom of God has come near. It is in our midst And even still, God, we we falter in our faith and we falter in our obedience. So Holy Spirit, would you come and draw us to yourself? Would you come and draw us to the cleansing work of Jesus? Where shame would want to tear us down and destroy us, God, would you open our hearts to receiving the cleansing work of Jesus again? For each of my brothers and sisters that is here, You know their unique place, the unique posture, their unique story, where they've been in their lives. God, would you come and bring your cleansing again? We invite you to come near, Father. Thank you for the work that you do in us. The message of unclean says, stay away. And the message of the incarnation Is that God has come near? Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus in a manger would have been unclean. Jesus touching a leper would have been unclean. Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman who was known to be loose at the side of a well would have made him unclean. Jesus touching the leper before he saw the priest would have made him unclean. Jesus allowing a prostitute to touch him would have made him unclean. Jesus touching a dead body would have made him unclean. Jesus chose and stepped toward all of these unclean ones. Jesus came and stepped toward all of us unclean ones bringing his cleansing, bringing his kingdom here in our midst. So may you, my brothers and sisters at Cornerstone, this Christmas, may the truth that the kingdom of God is in your midst be more real than it has ever been before. May you be clean in the name of Jesus and may you be free. Amen and amen.